Sing back the symbols. Sing back the symbols. You parental complexes and you adapt to the culture. And if you do both those things, you lose yourself. You lose that connection to your feral nature. You lose the connection to the handmade life, the life that you craft for yourself. Hence the idea of the girl making the red shoes. They're not perfect, they're quite crude really. They're just stitched together any other way, but they protect her feet, they give her a place to stand. She gets a lot of pleasure and joy and self-confirmation from that process. So it, it's encouraging people to return to that, to return to that feral, that natural state, would put, which would put them back in touch with themselves to put themselves back at the center of things. Otherwise, who are you? Are you just defined, as I say, by your, your parental complexes, your family complex, the, the culture as a whole? Or do you define yourself in your own terms? Hey guys, and welcome back to Young to Live By, the premier online outlet for debt psychology resources, giving you all the tools that you need to individuate properly, or in other words, become who you are. And as you saw in the intro there, Pauline getting very passionate about the subject of addiction and indeed becoming who you are and how important all of these things are to consider as you go forward on your own journey. Today we're going to be talking about the subject of addiction from a depth psychology standpoint and how it involves the whole system of psychodynamics, including the alter ego and the animus and loads of other things, including instincts, which is a subject not really talked about in general when it comes to psychology. We like to push those things away and like to either reduce things down to archetypes or indeed reduce things down to mindset and other such things. But you do have a lifespan, of course, and it wants to come out of you and of course that is the point of individuation so we're going to begin with steve and with pauline talking about the video the red shoes by kate bush this is a very 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 good introduction into the psychodynamics of addiction and indeed perhaps a promise of how you can get out of it um who's cool. bursting in through a port through a door through a portal uh, and as she burst in through the door, you can see what looks like a female figure um, on the right of the screen, but to her left. Uh, and she looks like she's standing at a, would you say she's standing at a, a keyboard, Steve? Can you tell, tell from it? We can't, can't quite tell from that. But you can see a, a, a piano to the left. If you just kind of scan it, yeah. the image, there's a piano on the left-hand side. And uh, more in the foreground, you can see sort of papers, maybe music scores littering the floor. So it's suggestive probably of a music studio. Yeah, it definitely looks like that, doesn't it? It does, um, yeah. It's a very strange perspective looking into the mirror and yes. seeing what really is behind the viewer. That's right. So the portal's opening behind the viewer and then this... Uh, female figure is bursting through yeah uh, and this will be the antagonist we know for the protagonist of the story played by Kate Bush running through and she jumps through the mirror there doesn't she, she bursts through the mirror and at this point it stop everything's still quite brightly lit so uh, we go from something which is brightly lit to something which is very dimly lit very quickly yeah it's almost like that's the the energy of emergence from yes. the psyche or from the unconscious yes, through that psychic yeah. centered by the mirrors yeah mm. the interesting thing is you must have run past Kate Bush and into the mirror and then been immediately reversed 
and back in. Where am I? Yeah. I'm not Immediately, Kate Bush's reaction to that is to say, who are you? She's obviously startled by the emergence of this character as she literally, in a colourful costume, erupts into the room. And at this point, which I think is going to be very important to know because it's going to come up time and time again as we're talking on this podcast, her instincts, her reaction to the threat, to the danger, um, her instincts are still intact. She's mm. registering the danger at this point. I'm meant to be here. I don't understand how this has happened. This kind of alter ego character because... Um, later on, it will become clear probably even more so as to, as to why she is um, when you see Kate Bush's uh, dress change um, is almost, um, it's like she's in an alien environment herself, mm. wondering where she is. But the, of course, that could just be part of, of the game, part of the what, what's about to happen, really. It's probably best to let it run a little bit and it will become self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. Sure. What the hell is going on? Look, who are you? Oh, please! And then the hands to the face, the bandage hands, suddenly she's about to be taken off guard. So at this point, um, Kate, the Kate Bush figure uh, drops a guard and her own concern for um, the alter ego, uh, played by, happens to be played by Miranda Richardson, the actress, uh, means that she's um, lost touch with her instincts and that discriminating powers is lost in the situation you must help me you've done to yourself and is more concerned about what's happening with her hands than anything else there was an accident a big fire i looked down my, my hands were all burned and blistered and there was so much smoke i couldn't breathe and i couldn't I was trying to find my way out. Oh, please! So the significance of this embrace yeah, here. And she embraced her. Yes, that, that's right. So she's thrown all. It's like she's thrown all caution to win to the wind, Kate Bush. And you can, if you look at the expression on Miranda Richardson's face as well, is it's almost a kind of a a bit of a victory already because yeah, you, she's won her over. You can say that the um, the ego's immune system has broken down. Yes. And but the contact is symbolic of mm. what happens when a force or a content from the unconscious yes. powers through. Yes. And in this uh, context, it's from the alter ego itself. It's directly challenging the ego yeah. uh, with what you could call a psychological infection because Miranda Richardson's character is in effect infected by the force of addiction, which it is now projecting into or interjecting rather like a virus would yes. into the ego represented by Kate Bush's character. Yeah. You must help me! Help you? How can I help you? I can't use my hands. I can't use my hands. I have to get back. So, so in saying like, I, ha I can't use my hands, I have to get back, then the Kate Bush character has to assist her with what will eventually become the passing on of the curse. I home there's only one way left for me to return and it lies in your hands now so Don't she's worry. probably in that moment flattered by that mm. and again in being flattered a guard is down her instincts are down and she's going along with that suggestion also to the uh, reference um to getting back home is an important one really because it suggests that idea of home being the, the, the self 
the centre of the personality uh, and they're something that is incredibly important I guess in overcoming addiction this um, if we think about Jung's idea of the ego self axis and um, where there is disruption to the ego self axis then there is damage damage to the self potentially so the idea of, of, of going home or homing or going back to oneself is an important idea we'll get you home you need three pieces of paper there's some on the piano and then she takes her over to the piano leads her over to the piano and at this point if you kind of notice the the atmosphere or, or the background um what was a, a functioning studio or appeared to be like a functioning studio at, at the beginning of the video has now darkened and we literally just have Kate Bush with the the lamp with the candle light lighting the way so it's like an abasement like a psychological abasement as if consciousness has been attenuated yeah, it's a good point because Jung himself said that um the ego is like a tiny light like a little lamp or a candle it should be protected against the winds from the unconscious and again you have that symbolically represented here Will this do? Yes. You draw a line on the first piece. Like this? Yes. I mean, you could say that the, the line is an individual person's path, which they go on to describe the line as being a path. Mm. So e even at this level, at the symbolic level, uh, writing the uh, symbols, we're getting a lot of instruction. Across. If people use expressions, for example, like crush your heart, is that association yes. with the heart and therefore away from the head? You know, the heart's often associated with joy and passion and life, the life force. So, again, the, these symbols here are probably very important. Mm -hmm. Good. A curve. Now, it's hard to say, but does that sound like comma to you? I thought it said comma, yeah. It sounds like comma, doesn't it? Yeah. Although later on, um, I think they refer to it as smile. So again, you have these sort of symbolic connections with joy, with ecstasy, the idea of smiling, of being fired up on the inside. So we've got, we've got the line, we've got the cross, and we've got the, the smile or the comma, however you want to refer to it. Mm -hmm. Here. Oh, that was creepy. Just, yes, exactly. So again, it's suggestive probably of something occult or something supernatural happening. It's a loss from the ego to the to alter the, ego. Yes, it is as well. It, yeah. it, something that the ego is invested in under instruction from the alter ego has then been taken by the alter ego. Yeah. That's very, very symbolic of um, an activity that's been forced onto the ego by the alter ego and then the product of that activity has been taken, which means a loss of energy, a loss of libido, a loss of center of mass, and an increase in the gravitational gradient between these two parts of the personality. Thank you. Thank you, and then you've got the ominous thunder in the background. As if maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the best thing yes, for the there ego. Is a, 
thunderstorm playing out, isn't there? And I think actually, if you, if you backtrack a little bit, then you actually, as the um, the symbols pass from the ego to the alter ego, there's a, a crack of thunder, if I'm right. Here. Thank you. Is there something I can give you in return? The Alter Ego has now released itself from the curse and passed it on and invested it in the, the Ego. Mm. Perhaps. My pretty red shoes. Take them. They're yours. As a gift. Change of energy here so she takes the shoes off and eventually the the shoes actually put themselves onto Kate Bush rather um, than her putting them onto her own feet but you'll you'll see that being played mm, out so, so this is the continuation of that loss from ego to alter ego that keeps going yes it is yes yeah yes That's a dream with your body on and it's kind of an ominous thing, kind of a fake smile in a way, at least that's how I would see this. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, there certainly. If, if we just go, can we go back another frame? You see the beginnings of the animation. Yeah. You see that smile and the glint in her eye as she's the expectation of passion and of uh, and of ecstasy and so on are starting to take yeah. hold. Yeah, those boundaries being broken. Yes. I think I'm uh, anima projecting quite hard onto Kate Bush right now. So uh, forgive me, <laughs> forgive me. She's, but, I, she's as, so do, as do millions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it was the heart, wasn't it? She put it on her heart. Yes, that's yeah. right, she did, yes. This line is your path. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, yes, that's right. So the, the path, the journey of the individual. The personal myth. The personal, the personal myth, myth, yes. myth the has been yeah. disrupted by the alter ego. Yes. And it's also the ego, alter ego axis that we've discussed. Mm -hmm. And if something powers through from behind the alter ego that's even more powerful than that and forces the alter ego to infect the ego with this raw instinct, it can blow the ego apart. Mm -hmm. And that was the message that we, we discussed last time. Hmm. as well. The ecstasy starting as they kind of roll round together with the alter ego behind her as well. Hmm. So the, you know, the placement of the images isn't lost there. Proper animation there the now. Promises that there'll be no illusion, but of course, this is the beginning of illusion. Mm. The whole thing is, is about illusion, the creation of illusion. Yeah. A burst yeah. of light that may have been the outside lighting up the studio but there's certainly a burst of it's an light. exchange of energy isn't it, it it's is. sort of like we'd expect yes. in physics where particles interact yes, yes. yeah so she's not looking as friendly yeah, here. Not quite 
Yeah. No, that's quite sinister. I mean, the way it's sung as well is, is almost guttural it if is, you yeah. listen to it. If you like from, from the wound, the yeah. wound, yeah, mm -hmm. having passed it on. Yeah, yeah she says I put them on, but she doesn't put them on, they put themselves on. So it's the shoes that are moving by themselves here, right? Yes, in, in effect, the, the, the shoes have taken hold and this is where addiction begins really because at first people believe they're in control of it. Um, the metaphor of the, the shoes is, is to do with the idea that the shoes do their own thing. So you want to dance one way, but the shoes dance another. And eventually, as, as the video plays out, you'll see her becoming more and more under the control of the shoes, of the red shoes, um, and becoming madly out of control herself as a result of that, dancing madly out of control. Mm -hmm. The red shoes, they can't stop dancing. Dancing. This curve. Who's this creepy man who's come in? <laughs> yes, uh, well now we have a, a, a demonic tricksterish aspect of the Amos coming in who will help to further stoke this up and, uh, and entice her more and more into this kind of uncontrolled um, dancing and, and this madness which will eventually lead her into complete exhaustion. But despite the complete exhaustion, she's still forced to keep going, to keep dancing. Mm -hmm. So we just, we see the this character come in and play his part in all of this and the drama that's going on. And you can see if we just stop for a moment, we go back again a frame, we can see her, I think, fear and uncertainty at first. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Just, yes, here. Yeah, that's right. It's like, oh, who, who is this character? Who is this? Uh, should I trust him or not? No, is uh, obviously the right reaction to have. But she's unsure, and, and again, wherever you get that kind of doubt creeping in, you're less likely to behave in an instinctive way. Her, obviously, and encouraging her she's, she, she says no, she's shaking her head, but I'm going to guess uh, she, yes, she doesn't mean no, though, really, deep down. Yes, yeah, but it's seductive. And because she's already started to feel the animation, then she goes with it. Mm. Rises up on a pose yeah. and strides towards him. It is elevation. Let's say, like a yes. hovercraft would be yes. raised yes. off the floor. Yeah. Oh, this is sort of an, an, an embrace. Come to me, come to me. It's safe. Stretch now, rather than just the, the finger, his arms are outstretched as he's, he's beckoning her and welcoming her mm. towards him. And then back through that psychic barrier, and at this point, you see her clothes change. Mm. 
And I think the way that she's dancing here, you again, it exemplifies that loss of control. The way her arms are flailing and, and he's leading the action. He's out there at the front, almost impelling her along. What's this thing he's smacking into the ground? Sorry, James. He's smashing the thing into the ground. This is walking stick or something. Right, right. Does this mean well, he, he has control? Asserting his control. Yeah. yeah, asserting his control of the stick, certainly. Mm. And you can see the, the distress, the, the fear starting to build in her and, and, and in her expression in her face. Mm. And his is one of glee. Yeah. I don't even know what this emotion is right here. It's kind of a, a weird form of glee. Very strange. Well, it's a destructive form of glee, mm. isn't it? It's a kind of enjoying the control over her. Mm. Dancing with him now. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Ego is, the ego's position has, has been surrendered just in the same way that it was with the alter ego and now she's dancing with this demonic tricksterish animus figure. She's released from his grasp there and then I think we move into another scene. Mm. In this fiery thing in the background, I guess it's sort of the, the fire of the libido. In a way. Mm. Sorry, Jane. Yes, you've got like this uh, fiery thing going on in the background. Yeah, m more so, so instead of something like hellfire, it'd be more something like the fire of the libido or something, the energy. Well, yes, it, I think it'll become obvious in the, in the next clip. Mm. The red shoes, I'm sorry, James, maybe play it on a little bit more, just a little bit more. Make the dream come true, I'm gonna dance the dream. Right, if we kind of stop here for a moment, we see her, I think as you rightly say, moving through the flames and the, the bottom of the picture, we can see all these incinerated uh, skulls and bones. And the message there really is that fire can mean a number of things and burning can mean a number of things. It can be the burning as with passion the, you know, the, the ecstasy, the joy, the passion that somebody has in their life, the, the, the fire that they have in their lives, a creative fire, or it can be the fire of cremation and annihilation. And here it's the second, it's, it's the fire of cremation and annihilation if you continue to dance madly out of control. <laughs> ...have become the diabolical shoes. Mm. We can see the the images of the devil behind her in the fire there. Diablo being Spanish for devil. Mm -hmm. So again, that imagery I'm sure isn't wasted here. Um, and um, the whole the whole thing is summing up that destructive nature, that destructive burning, as opposed to the transformative fire in that alchemical sense that would allow somebody to, to burn off the dross and transform themselves al alchemically. This, this is the fire of cremation and annihilation mm. and therefore addiction. 
you can see yeah. her feet start to move more quickly too. Mm. The, the degree of animation is increasing, becoming more heightened. Yeah. And she's literally dancing with she's literally dancing with the devil yeah, here. I was gonna say they're enjoying themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, she's oblivious to the danger. She is so totally oblivious to the danger. That yeah. happens with addiction. Yes, it does. That's right. Mm. Oh, sorry, uh, to stop you again, James, but you can particularly see that if you go back a frame. This one? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's totally and utterly taken over by it. You say, Steve, that she's completely oblivious as well, despite the fact that she's sort of caught between the devil That's and right. the deep she's blue sea. She's literally surrendered herself to this dancing. Really happening to you, so there's that belief that this is the real thing. This is this is the thing that will make you feel alive and passionate and engage with life and so on. But it's illusory. She's in some water now. Is that going to be some uh, some symbolism of the water? unconsciousness and whatever else yes because the, the unconsciousness is, is deepening as she gets further and further in as she becomes literally overwhelmed by the desire to dance and she's becoming like you as you rightly say less and less conscious about what's happening to her just getting mm -hmm. deeper and deeper into it deeper into it if it was an addiction you would be getting deeper and deeper into that addiction whatever it happens to be <laughs> And exhausted, she has to be picked up by this negative animus figure and, and carried away. Mm. <laughs> and then we get the movement through the, the tunnel and we see the alter ego disappearing back into the unconscious. Waving the symbols in the air. I just say here the negative animus is functioning as a negative psychopomp. It's literally orchestrating everything. Once the alter ego is delivered, the ego over to the negative animus, then the negative animus takes over completely. Take off the shoes, take them off. The horror of the situation is starting to register here. And you, you sort of see the frenetic movement of, of her legs as she struggles to try and get the shoes off. Mm -hmm. And she's appealing to this animus figure who now has his, turned his back on her, literally, mm -hmm. having done the deed. And she's appealing to him for help. Help me, please. Shoes off! Take them off! They burn! They burn! Please! Get a knife! Get a knife! Get a knife and cut them off! Please! 
You must help me. It's really happening to you. Please. It's really happening to you. It's really happening to you. You can now see the agony that goes along with addiction. Yeah. The distress, the agony, the pain. And he's still enjoying it. It's really happening to you. It's really happening to you. So for a moment he helps to calm the feet. Drugs. Yes. Mm. And building the dependency. Exactly. That only the negative animus can help her. Yeah. So you get some relief. You get some temporary relief when it treats you well, but then it beats you up again. If it's a drug, for example, or some other kind of habit. So you get some relief by taking it and you think everything's okay. And then bang, you're back into it again. Mm. She tricked you, you know. She tricked you. Yeah. Yes, which is a reference to the alter ego, which we saw right at the very beginning. And she did trick her, there's no doubt about that. Mm. But she tricked her because she, she let go of her instincts, of her instinctive reaction to, to the threat, to the danger that was building. So that's instructive in a way, although it's a, a, you know, a negative image and appears to be a negative aspect of the animus, nonetheless, it's instructive. Yeah. Mm. So you could see how that could be actually changed into a positive. You must sing back the symbols. Sing back the symbols. Let's go see Lily. So you mentioned to me before you two about a picture that you found of Kate Bush and on her on her top it's got a little message saying I'm a prima donna, how about you? If you just throw it up here I think it might be a good thing to, to talk about. Uh, the opening line to the song is, oh, she moves like a di like the diva do. Mm. And um, the connection with I'm a prima donna, well, prima donnas tend to be divas. Mm. No, it's the same thing. It's, it's the same pretty, thing. Pretty much, it's, yeah. yeah, pretty much the same thing. Um, and I guess it was just, it was, I was just curious myself, really, as to how, therefore, that might relate to Kate Bush, how much of herself and her own story she's put into that. Because um, there is some suggestion that she's a perfectionist mm -hmm. and she likes to be in control of the show. Um, prima donna meaning first lady and, and, and they're often the lead singer in a theatre company or, or an opera, so that they have the leading role they take charge of things and i think in her own life she's worked very much in that way with her band mm. obviously they, they do work as a whole but she she very much takes the lead creatively and i just wondered like i say if she put a little bit of herself into that hence the you know the alter ego shadow uh, the alter ego uh, character being maybe some aspect of her shadow mm. Yeah, yeah, you, you think so, right? Because all, all great art comes, there's a little piece of you in it, even if it's the collective unconscious or something like that. There is a piece yes. of you in there. So, yeah, yeah. potentially. Because when, when, when she's interviewed, she's very shy and very demure, really. Very unassuming, you know, if you see her being interviewed. And yet, 
like I say, we know from some of the things that have been said about her that when she actually works creatively, she probably is quite demanding. Mm. Mm. Because it's her craft. She's a perfectionist. She wants to get things right. Mm. So there'll be certain things I would imagine that she would insist on. So in, in that sense, you know, she's kind of revealing to us through the video and even through the T-shirt there to some extent, something telling us something else about herself that might not be readily obvious on the surface. Mm. Certainly, certainly. It's just a, I just thought it was an interesting thing because I is. remember wearing that and... Uh, so, Steve and Pauline, obviously the red shoes are symbolic of addiction. Can this be addiction mm. in any form whatsoever? So, for example, you've got classical ones like alcoholism and smoking and anything else. But what about other forms yeah. of addiction, such as, you know, um, working too much or maybe addicted to somebody yes. else? Ad yes. Addiction as an abstract phrase. Yes, it can express itself in many ways. I think you're right to say that the most obvious ones are things like alcohol, drugs, bad relationships, but it takes many, many forms. Overwork, which I think you're probably familiar with yourself, oh, is, yes. is one of them. Um, but you get things too, such as things like pregnancy, if it's a woman, the desire to have more and more children. Uh, and you get pushed by your instincts, by that biological pressure to yeah. do that. Yeah, can I just add yes. that, that it, it's yes. very often with an addiction, it's the instincts or instincts behind the addiction that is absolutely key to understand and how that's either been misfired or it's been redirected in some way. Because instincts, remember, broken no opposition to themselves. So <clears> there's <throat> terrific instinctive pressure going on all the time. And the psyche as a whole has to regulate the power of those instincts because as they emerge they will kick off archetypes because archetypes just get in the way of them and then they start to kick off complexes then they kick off the alter ego and finally they impact the ego itself so the, the the frame shift here between so the general understanding of addiction when you're raised in school and anything else is purely a chemical dependence that it seems to it yes. seems to match a receptor in the, in the brain and it's purely on a chemical means but the more psychosystems analysis version or biopsychosocial model is you're also putting archetypes in this as well because obviously in that particular video there was the animus or the negative animus mm -hmm. who was kind of orchestrating yeah. this so your your, yeah. your your stance would be it's not just purely a chemical addiction it's like you can't just reduce well, it down it, to it that is, or where, where there's a substance involved and at the appropriate level of analysis description and explanation if you reduce it to that, then yes, it is just chemical. But people aren't just chemical. They have a psychology and they have a social environment within which they flourish and they have a wider biology. So simultaneously, these things are operating at many, many different interacting levels. So you can say that there is definitely a chemical component, which may even be overwhelming in some cases where it is chemical. But when it kicks off other things, that then becomes a problem in and of itself. Also, psychosocial factors can kick off or induce behavior, which brings about a chemical dependency. And then between the psychosocial and the purely biological at the chemical level, you have the purely ego and its field of conscious awareness and the associated complexes to it that can also kick off addictions by not relating properly either to the social environment or to the instincts. So it's always multifactorial. And the profile you get is always systemically at several different levels simultaneously. But myths have evolved to deal with this kind of problem and to provide illustrations and potential solutions to them. 
which is why they're so very valuable. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I bring up the whole chemical thing because if you look on like cigarette packets or whatever in, in, in the UK, it's things like nicotine is a highly addictive substance. If you touch this, you'll become addicted for life. It's almost like that's too too much of a sim- simplistic thing, isn't it? Because it, it mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that both of you have, uh, have uh, treated people for smoking addiction using yeah, hip, yeah. using hypnotherapy, yes. for example. Yeah, yeah. So, so that goes to show you can't necessarily reduce it down to be like, oh, it's just one molecule hitting another another molecule you have to sort of expand out and look at the whole yeah, the whole system obviously some substances are overwhelmingly addictive, addictive purely because of the chemical yeah. uh, reaction uh, and, and effects um so something like her- heroin yeah we have to remember with cigarettes for example people people smoke cigarettes and it's always the contact of the, of the person that you have to take into account because you could say that um if you smoke a cigarette because the products of the cigarette get into your bloodstream, they affect every cell in your body. That is absolutely the case, mm. but it's still a person who is being affected at every yeah. level and in every cell of their body. That includes their psychology yes. as well. And um, one of the most successful ways of dealing with cigarette addiction, nicotine uh, addiction is to allow people give them the opportunity to enter a state that contradicts that of the nicotine, but without any of the side effects of the withdrawal. And it is possible to do that through something like hypnosis. With more severe chemical addictions, that's not always as successful because of the pure strength of it. Nevertheless, the person who is addicted functions psychologically and psychosocially. Mm. And we are continuous. Our biology is continuous of our psychology and continuous of our social and environmental relations. We exist simultaneously at all of these different levels. Mm. So addiction has to be taken in in that context. And it would be the same for anything, whether it's a porn addiction, Mm -hmm. which is kicked off always, always by frustrated instincts. That's the key to understanding porn addiction. Yeah? Yeah. You don't get it in men who are fulfilled in terms mm. of their archetypal release mm. and in terms of their instincts and in terms of their lifespan development. You just don't get it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you told me before about uh, alcoholism or a lot of alcoholism is the um, Jung's alchemical phrase. Is it spirit contra spiritum or something similar yeah, to that? That's right. Spiritus. Yeah. That was his advice directly to the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, that that would be, in his view, the correct formula. Now, it can work, and sometimes it doesn't, but not because the formula isn't right. There's something about the individual and then the people who are trying to help them conjoined together, alchemically, if you like, that means it doesn't mm-hmm. work. It's, it's not the formula. It's the overall interaction of the people involved in the specifics of a context that will determine it. And that's true for therapy across the board. So the, going back to the Kate Bush video, you obviously got the negative animus, which is what's calling her in, is the, the thing which is orchestrating it. If this is at the yes. level of instincts fundamentally, is the how's the animus specifically involved in addiction? Is it because there's an animation involved every time you feel compelled to go do something, you have to repeat it over and over and over and over and over again? Is that where the animus fits in? Because I think it'd be a good idea to get a distinction here between the instinct at hand and the actual archetype, which is playing into this whole drama. Yeah, at one point, which I don't think we mentioned as the the video was playing, she also uh, sings the words, get me a get me a doctor, get me a a priest. Yeah. Um, And in that is a kind of an appeal to the spiritual 
Animus as well to help her out. Uh, I think that was something we overlooked as the video was playing. Yeah, and the persona Medici as well, yes. which, which represents the power healing. of the word and healing, and healing. as well. Yeah. So they're all animus functions. Yeah. Uh, can I just sorry to interrupt, okay. but you could play this through with the anima, and you could have put a man in there you as could. well. Yeah. Um, it is principally a woman's story, but it is generally applicable. The principles yes. definitely are generally. They, applicable. they do apply to both. I mean, I think as Steve said, it, the animus is a psychopom, and if it's not connecting you to the positive aspects of the self as a woman, then it's connecting you to the more destructive aspects of it. Mm. And that obviously comes into play in addiction because there's a, there's a loss of pe people who fall into the trap of addiction, uh, addiction usually have a loss of soul. Mm. So whether it's the Kate Bush video or for example, the, Hans Christian Andersen version of the red shoes. Um, you're talking about a woman who is is feral, but is also starved of soul. And the idea is that feral literally means wild beast, but you could also say that it means to be natural and to be untamed. And as people grow up and develop and women in particular, we're, we're sort of relating that to the red shoes, become constrained not only by the, the, the views and the values of their family, but also the views and the values of the culture in which they live as well. And they, be, they start to become torn from their natural selves, from that untamed part of their psyche, which is the connection to their creativity and and their their deep spiritual center so it's it's that it's that wrestling mm. between the two that is is played out in the story but finally also the breaking away from that which has been tamed to become feral again to become a more natural untamed version of yourself if that makes sense yeah it's, it reminds me um the, the the video itself is actually quite you know, it hits close to home because one of my, I would say my addictions last year, but I did have a thing about dancing. It, it definitely was yes. a thing. It was, it was an animation thing. And people, yes. people say to me, oh, James, you know, you've, you've, you've been smoking, you've been drinking, you've been this and this and yes. this. You've got a really addictive yeah. personality. And it's like, no, yeah. I don't have a really addictive personality. What I have is a lot of energy that's not going in the right place. And yeah. so, yes, so, it, so it's going to go to more destructive outlets for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. But I, I would be addicted to overworking. Yeah. This was before I did my How Young yeah. Saved Me from Dante Hell. on the video. surface, well, to, to work hard on the surface can seem a positive thing. Just as to study or, or to create in some other way, to paint, to draw, to write, to sing, they can all appear to be positive things on the surface but it's like anything that's taken to an extreme then it will turn on you and destroy you even things that you think are fundamentally good for you so I think we have to broaden out the idea of addiction from just being somebody who's drinking too much or yeah. smoking too much or you know be becoming promiscuous to something which on the surface appears positive yeah. But in its extreme form, if it's ex if it's excessive, then it becomes destructive. Mm. The, it, it's as if in, in people who get into that state, it's as if they've been so disconnected from themselves. They've been in this kind of starvation mode that suddenly when 
something comes along the, the promise of something which is pleasurable and and uh, fulfilling and so on that they can't get enough of it so they start to crave it and then boundaries are lost and at the point at which boundaries are lost then you start to fall into a state of addiction because there's there's, there's the loss, the loss of connection to the self, essentially, in that Jungian sense. Mm. And so it's like, because you haven't got that, that proper connection to the self, there's, there's no one, whether it's a man or a woman, to call time on what you're doing, to say, enough's enough. It's as if people don't register when they're satiated. Yeah. And at the point at which you don't register satiation, then you bang into addiction. So it's not so much the the creativity, for example, that necessarily destroys someone, but it's it's a lack of boundaries. It's knowing when to stop. It's knowing when enough is enough. Mm. So I, th I think we need to kind of broaden the, the description of what it means to be addictive out and away from just substance addiction mm -hmm. or addiction to bad relationships. It can mean many, many things. So it's when, I guess, uh, to give a definition, to be like, you're not the one in control and you feel compelled to do something and you also don't realise necessarily you are compelled to do it. There's sort of an element of potential delusion in there or you think it's a good thing, something like that. So, for example, yes. my workaholism last year was like, I used to uh, mythologise it quite a lot as well. I'm like, oh, you know, the god of yes. war is here and we're charging together alongside e each other. Absolutely exhausted. Knew I was exhausted, but it didn't register as exhaustion. It was just yeah. like well yes. this is now the point where we push yes. harder just like in the kate video kate bush video yeah it's exactly the same that the shoes keep that point you're, you're being danced by the addiction you're no longer in control of it it has possession of you yes so you believe the ego believes it's in control but it's not it's surrendered itself to the addiction it just depends on a person's starting point as well be and 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 on just how disconnected they are from themselves because the greater the injury the greater the potential to become addicted so the solution and i don't want to give out quick and dirty solutions but as kind of like a yes. a, a all-encompassing spoiler alert for any future videos we do on, on, on yes on... If, if we kind of rush to the end before we've we've really articulated everything else that happens in between yeah yeah well the idea is uh connect to who you are then essentially is 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 what what is the fundamental wound if you could abstract that because i think it'd be an interesting thing for people to know it's a disruption of the ego self-axis yeah so whatever your potential is then that potential pushes as i think steve was suggesting to be realized for you to become who you really are who you were always meant to be but challenges are put in the way of that throughout life and, and, and they come at you in different forms through maybe, you know, early parenting experiences or family experiences and then out into the wider world. And all of these things have an impact. I think it'd be a nice idea, if you don't mind, Pauline, to, yeah. uh, to tell the Hans Christian Andersen version of the Red Shoes story. Mm. I think that'd be quite nice to... Let's give an all-encompassing thing before we move on to perhaps the next show in this particular series where we tackle things more in detail. The story starts with a young orphan girl who lives alone in a forest. She's dressed in rags and she spends her days in this dark 
and dangerous place crafting a pair of red shoes for herself she does this by finding little bits of cloth and sewing them together and to all intents and purposes she makes herself a pair of red shoes from it and then one day as she's there in the forest a gilded carriage passes by and in it is an old lady and the old lady doesn't have any children of her own and she decides to basically adopt this this orphan girl and she takes her back home with her and she's a wealthy old lady and she wants to give the benefit of her riches to this child so she encourages her to change her clothes to take off her rags and to put on a, a beautiful a white wool dress and stockings and she gives her a pair of shiny black shoes to wear and to all intents and purposes it appears at least on the surface that she's improving the quality of this child's life. The child's previous clothes, the rags and the shoes that she was wearing are then burnt in the fire and destroyed and then one day the old lady takes her wants to take her to church but in order to take her to church she wants her to she wants to give her a pair of new shoes so they go and see the old crippled shoemaker in the village and because the old woman's eyesight is failing she doesn't realize that the young girl has actually chosen this pair of, of red shiny shoes red and, and, and ripe like like fruit there's various connections with with fruit so she allows that to happen in effect and they, they go back home and then the following Sunday the young girl puts the red shoes on they go to church and as they're uh, approaching the church there's an old soldier wounded soldier at the door with his arm with his arm in a sling wearing like a little waistcoat and he's got a red beard and he kind of winks at the young girl as they go into church and then when the service is over um apart from the fact that she, when she goes into church people the congregation are looking around and they see this young girl wearing the red shoes and because it's a very conservative place so I think they're all quite shocked by this but the old lady doesn't cotton on because her eyesight is so poor she doesn't really realize what is happening but the congregation are obviously disapproving of it um, anyway on the the way out of the church um, the old soldier uh, the wounded soldier um, who is at the door bows and asks to be able to um, dust the shoes with his hands to get the dust off them and in that kind of in that gesture that bowing gesture he kind of humbles himself so he doesn't appear to be a threat of any kind and he he does the, the the child's shoes but at the same time he sings a little song and he touches the the soles of the shoes which start to make her feet itch and this is this is the beginning if you like of the animation anyway um as the old lady leaves the church the young girl's feet start to want to dance and at this point the addiction hasn't really taken hold fully and both her and her coachman who have brought them to the church in the carriage are able to prize the red shoes from her feet so 
she's kind at this point she's kind of if you like saved uh from what is to come later on they go home and the old lady obviously is not pleased about what has happened um, and also she started to hear rumours from the congregation about, about their disapproval of the, the girl wearing the red shoes, it's just too bright for church, too inappropriate and she forbids the young girl to wear them and puts them up on a high shelf in the house so that she can't reach for them and then to cut a long story short, the old lady becomes ill. And while she's ill, the young girl starting to feel more and more constrained by the rigid and oppressive ways of the old woman and the community in which she's living, starts to feel this fire burning inside of her, this desire for the red shoes becomes overwhelming. And whilst the old lady's in a sick bed, she quietly goes into the room and manages to get the red shoes down from the high shelf and she puts them on. There is then another encounter with the soldier figure who kind of starts to, he, he kind of says a few words which start to encourage the dancing. And as a result of that, she starts to dance more and more and more, just like in the Cape Bush video and eventually the dancing starts to become out of control and she realizes that she's not actually deciding how she dances at all but the shoes themselves have have taken her over and she might want to, to dance to the left but the shoes that decide that she's going to dance to the right and so on. And this kind of continues on and she dances through the village, she dances um, through the forest and eventually she comes to uh, a graveyard where there's what's called a spirit of dread there and he curses her and he says that she's going to cut, basically carry on dancing until there's nothing left of her uh, and she'll literally just be dancing entrails which obviously you know conjures up a, a really unpleasant image and he won't allow her to go into the graveyard and she's she's forced to carry on through the village dancing and while she's dancing through the village she, she's told that she will tap on all the windows so that the villagers will see her and they'll, they'll come to the window and they'll take note of what's happening almost as an instruction to them that this is what will happen to you if you allow yourself to be overwhelmed in this way by the power of addiction. And so it's almost like the story makes an example of her. Then the story carries on in this way with her dancing more and more madly out of control until she is drawn back um, to, to home to where the old lady by now is actually gravely ill in bed. And as she gets back home, she realizes that there are mourners outside and that the old lady must have died. Then moving on from there, the dancing carries on. She, you know, she struggles to take the shoes from her feet, but isn't, but isn't able to, and ends up dancing back into the forest, back to the executioner's house, which is situated in the forest. And as she nears, he has an axe on the wall and the wall, the axe starts to tremble. 
almost as if it's sensing her presence, as if it knows in advance that she's, she's coming. And she begs the executioner to cut the ribbons from her shoes to, re to release her from the shoes themselves, which he does, but it's not enough. And he's forced in the end, essentially to cut her feet off. She, their feet, her feet have to be severed from her body to free her from the shoes and therefore, metaphorically speaking, from the addiction. And the shoes go off on their merry way with the feet inside them. This, this dance off into the distance, they're still dancing. And she's left as this poor, crippled young woman that apparently can't do anything for herself now. But there's a realization at that point that she have the feet having been severed, that she doesn't actually want to return to that way of life, that she's going to give her life in service of others, as opposed to in service of herself and her own passions and her own desires, which have clearly run out of control. So the message at the end of the story, I guess, is that, and, and it's a brutal ending, which is often the case in fairy tales, you get this kind of brutal loss to get the psychological message across as to just how important it is to, to hit bottom, but to allow yourself to, to, to come back from that and to to transform your life and to create and fashion your life in some other form. That's a catabasis. It is it? a catabasis. And properly yes. illustrated. I, I've seen some um, rather technical, should we say, um, attempts at explaining catabasis on, on various YouTube channels to do with, <clears throat> with uh, Jung's work. And um, there's no passion in it at all. There's, there's no personal experience in it at all. And there's, there's uh, very rarely any uh, attempt to link that with the reality of daily life, um, unfortunately. But listening to that, and I'll, I'll be directly, that's the first time I've heard that. Mm. I'm, I'm, I've been aware of the Kate Bush version of the story, but I've never heard the full story from uh, Hans Christian Andersen. Um, but yeah, the punchline's definitely there about sometimes the only way to be separated from an addiction is to be amputated from it. Yes. Uh, and then that, uh, loss that severance uh, from the ego or ego yes. um, is a humbling thing. Yes, it is. And of course, what follows catabasis mm. is anabasis, which is the reverse journey. Um, and that's a hard climb when the ego or the ego has been damaged so much. Mm -hmm. So, so that that's the cutting off of the feet part. The ego actually literally loses a part of itself. Yeah, I mean, um, forgive me for drawing the analogy, but. Um, Somebody who whose addiction is to thinking too much might well have some conversation <laughs> occurring in their life. Yes, yeah. it's still a severance, isn't it's, it? It's still a severance, and it's, it's still something a, that would harm you. Yeah, and it's still mm. an overvaluation of something which should be balanced. Uh, and if there's uh, a reticence to engage necessarily with with the process of balance, then the compensating symbols will get more and more dramatic. Mm. And then if the symbols aren't engaged <laughs> with then unfortunate things will start to happen in the psychosocial environments because there's no other way of, of bringing something to the attention of the personality than making it so exterior, you meet it in everyday life. And, and Jung himself is very clear about this, that 
the problem of such things if we ignore them is that we will we will meet them on the outside if we don't deal with them on the inside so we should take the hint that comes up through the symbol of the dream for example um, whatever form of addiction or one-sidedness that might be uh, and then take the compensation to heart yeah this is, a, this is a quick aside, not strictly relevant, but mm. when, when you were saying, Pauline, about some of the more brutal aspects of that story, people dying, yes. people having their feet cut off, it reminded me yeah. of one of Hans Christian Andersen's other stories, The Little Mermaid, which most, mm. people, most people are not familiar with his original version, but yes. they're familiar with the, with, with, the, with the Disney film. I'll just read a tiny bit yeah. off, off of Wikipedia, um, yeah. to, to, just, just for contrast with how stories are yeah, meant sure. to be told versus how they are popularly told. Uh, however, the Little Mermaid cannot bring herself to kill the sleeping prince lying with his new wife, so she throws the dagger and herself off the ship into the water. Her body dissolves into the foam and, uh, and all kinds of horrible things, and, and, and she dies painfully. Mm. So, in the, so the way the original stories are meant to be told, they don't tend to come across. It's also quite jarring in a way lots lots of old fairy tales were mm. but i want to ask about them um, obviously a, a distinct difference between so. yes yeah potentially i mean commercial stuff and, and whatever else but there's a distinction between i mean the, the kate bush video didn't have a a mother an old lady figure in it but the story that you told the original one did well uh, to, to, to be fair actually because the, the red shoes is an album yeah it's an album yes and we couldn't videos, show yeah. everything here but but it does move on um to a track called lily where there is a an old lady in that mm. but she's more of a, a positive image of the self in in the hans christian anderson version the old lady really is a senex yeah so she represents um a calcification a rigidity that that thing that would destroy life and in the same way i guess that sometimes i think steve's uh, touched on this before in the way that um older men um the older the older men sometimes give younger men a hard time well are you hang, 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 just sorry one, 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 one second for me were you just stroking the microphone there steve Yes, I was. A he's bit, he's yes, up to yes. something. Yeah. Okay, just just because I don't I don't want to have you keep going, Pauline, and then Steve stroking the microphone so that it would interrupt all, all the words that, that you're saying. But carry on. The old lady um, in the story, like I say, is a senex, and and she represents that which is rigid and conservative and and calcified and so on, and is detrimental to therefore the 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 passion and the exuberance that a young woman might have. I know Steve's alluded to this as well yeah. with respect mm. to men and the kind of in wartime, the way that young men get manipulated by older men to go and sacrifice themselves. So in the Hans Christian Andersen version, the old woman is not a helpful character. Mm. And when she later dies and literally, you know, disappears altogether, it's as, it's as if the self has been lost and the relationship to the self has been lost. And so, I think I said earlier in the podcast, there's then no break mm. on the person, on the individual. There's no one to say, you're about to run out of control, you're about to go over the edge here, you have no boundaries, so on and so forth. Mm. I mean, if I can take an example from popular culture, I think most people are familiar with Janis Joplin. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, or, our generation. Our generation, yeah, so, I mean, there, there are obviously yeah. uh, others, other examples mm. probably too, 
but she was somebody um, who was brought up in a very rigid uh, religious community and she herself was a bit of a, a bit of a wild child, a bit rebellious and her own feral nature, if you like, that, that rebellious part of her instinctively wanted to assert itself but the, the culture wouldn't let her. And so then she tried to do it through her music, through her singing, through her music um, and through taking drugs and alcohol and, and so on. But because there was no break on her, she had no boundaries. And also because there was a kind of a collective expectation that she would embody rebelliousness for everybody else, that eventually it was her undoing. So again, creativity is a good thing, so long as there are limits, there are restraints mm -hmm. on it too. Yeah. It's not good to go full bore at something to the point where you're taking, you know, uh, drugs and drinking and staying up all night and thinking that you can create to four o'clock in the morning and it won't have an effect on you. I mean, there's the, inf there's the inflation of believing that you can do that and not destroy yourself. Yeah. Mm. And she was dead at 27. So, you know, it kind yeah. of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Mm. Certainly, certainly, certainly. And well, then there are others, there are many, many others that we could probably describe in a similar way, people out in the culture that we could, uh, you know, relate to. Definitely. And perhaps we can continue up on that in part two of the stuff, yeah. a little um, addiction mini series here, which, you know, fits in sort of with the, the anima stuff we've been talking about over the last few videos. But also I think it's a good idea to, to branch out into more specific addictions, perhaps go down into more of the psychodynamics, maybe some more stories, more examples. Yes. I think that'd be a really yes. good, good idea. But for now, it's probably time to close the book on this particular fairy tale and to allow people to, to take this and move on with their days. So thank you, Steve. Thank you, Pauline. Thank you. And thank you, James. And thank you to everybody who has been watching this. If you'd like a free copy, of perhaps i'm going to go out and say definitely the most advanced guide ever written on integrating the shadow you can click the link in the description down below and you can get that for yourself or indeed if you'd like to join our community or ask us questions have a chat with one of the three of us or all three of us then if you head over to our patreon page there's a whole suite of things up there which i'm sure you will enjoy and will allow us to go on our journeys together so with that thank you everybody thank you both see thank you again you bye, real soon I think it would be useful to go back to the very beginning of the story again, because, well, it, it's instructive throughout. But I think in going back to the beginning, we can actually start to look at how to solve the problem of addiction in the first place. Okay, let's do it then. Let's go back to the very beginning. Right. Okay. Um, well, essentially, at the beginning of the story, you've got the young girl who has fashioned these red shoes for herself. She's living a very poor and Im impoverished life in terms of her outer existence. But she's at the same time become um, very innovative and her own ingenuity has allowed her to literally stitch together this pair of red shoes from little bits of cloth that she's found. And with every step, every part of that process, the amount of satisfaction she gets from doing that increases and obviously over time as well she becomes better and better at what she's doing so the idea really is to have if you like your own handmade life 
the handmade life is the life that you craft for yourself. Yes. So it's not based on, on what anybody else is doing, uh, anybody else that you might look up to or be inspired by or have had experience of uh, in your past. It's about how you can develop your own potential. And it doesn't matter how modest that potential is or how great that potential is. It's about becoming yourself, essentially. Yeah. And when the little girl uh, initially fashions the shoes, obviously they're quite crude. It doesn't matter because they, they, they do the job of pr protecting her feet and feet being a metaphor for the things on the platform on which we stand, on which we base our lives. So she knows that if she perseveres with that over time, it's something that she will get better at. Can I, can I, can I ask um, a very quick question on this front? Because this, this is something that interested me when I first came across these ideas of becoming who you are. Yes. We, if, if we lived, say, on a desert island with other people, we could truly become who we are. But culture, so for, culture puts restrictions on ourselves, fundamentally it money. Does. You need income up to a certain yes. point, which could perhaps yes. be based in instincts. It probably is yes. a desire to accumulate yes. resources, especially yes. for, for the masculine. Mm. Mm. How, can, how, how can you balance these two things within, yes. your, within yourself? Becoming who you are, but also having yes. to allow yourself to adapt to the constraints. That's the best way of putting yes. it, constraints around yes. you from society. Well, that, that, that's a, an accurate description, isn't it? Well, the, the idea of the red shoes, and, and, and in, um, there are later versions of the story as well, but I don't want to sort of complicate that here at the moment. The idea of, of the red is that the colour red stands for life, but also for sacrifice as well. And I guess, as with anything in life, it's about getting a balance between the two. So what gives your life meaning? Uh, on the one hand, uh, what are the things that define you as you? And what might you have to sacrifice in order to continue to attend to your creativity, whatever mm. form that happens to take, whether it's, it's you know, singing or, or writing or painting or whatever. And so the, there is a balance to be had. And if we kind of go a little bit further into the story, when the old lady turns up in the, the gilded carriage to adopt, adopt the uh, young girl, she's a wealthy old woman and she has all the riches in the world. And at that moment, the young girl is caught between the life that she's made for herself, the handmade life, if you like, and the promise of what a, a richer life might give her that she doesn't have by living the handmade life. So it's that um, pull towards an easier life, a life with more comforts, more um, security, with um, less financial concerns and so on. Well, she probably doesn't construct it in, in that way because she's only a child, but you'll have some sense that this, old lady is offering her something the enticement is that she's offering her something that she doesn't already have and sadly in that moment she's caught because she she gives up her her inner fire inner passion those things that drive her to be creative and 
we see that um, exemplified in the way in which the child's persona changes. It becomes, uh, she wears all these fine clothes, she has these beautiful black shiny shoes. So she, on, on the outside, she has all the, the, the materialistic things that you think would allow her to be happy and to be comfortable in life. But all she's really done is set up a challenge to herself and you know, you can't put out that creative fire. It's still there. It's still going to burn, regardless of what outer sacrifices you might make. So it, it's getting that. It's all about balance, balancing one with the other. And to, I mean, you might then say, well, how do you know if you've got the balance right? Mm. Well, I, I guess um, mm -hmm. if something is, is, is too much or you have an excess of something, it, it actually shrinks your life. It doesn't, it doesn't make it better. It doesn't nurture you. So clearly you can, you know, you can kind of say, well, um, for example, too much creativity is a bad thing as well mm -hmm. as too little. So, you know, if you're going full bore at something to the point where you've gone past that, that, that stage of yearning of wanting to do something into obsession, then you're already heading for addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is just, it's finding that sweet spot, I think, mm. in the uh, context of your own life. And, and so when, when the girl, she's covered with materialistic things, are we talking yeah. here specifically about, say, material goods? For example, are we talking about perhaps because it's her appearance that she's identifying yes. with a persona that's not yes. actually her and who she really is on the inside? That, that, that's exactly it. Um, and at that point, too, she's kind of she's been contained by convention, by the, the, the rigidity. Um, and uh, we said yesterday about the, the old woman being a senex by the constraints uh, of the culture which in this context is oppressive and doesn't allow for the expression of instinct um, and what somebody wears on the outside can convey a lot about who they believe they are obviously um, if you're you know you're dressed in all your finery it, it's a way of suggesting status as well um, and the same and the same with shoes shoes maybe in particular um, can suggest a lot about um, where somebody is at in their lives materially. Mm. So you can have all, all the outer riches and you can demonstrate those through your persona. But if you don't have the inner riches, inner riches it's meaningless. Mm. And at the very end of the story, the, essentially the girl realises that her life is worth nothing because she's given herself over to those things that don't actually do anything for her creatively. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I'm just thinking about the format of this, this particular video. Yes. How would, how do you want to do the Kate Bush part? Well, there were just, there were just um, some things that really, I guess, occurred to me. The more, I mean, the more you watch something, the more that you, you see in it. Um, and um, at the beginning of the video, you get this uh, shadow character literally bursting in and taking 
the ego by surprise almost. And it's a bit like that when we repress aspects of ourselves and they, they fall into shadow, that they can literally suddenly erupt again at some point without us necessarily expecting it and take us by surprise. And I was just wondering really about how she would put the video together. Mm. So that at the beginning, you see all these kind of sheets of paper on the floor, which may or may not be musical scores. You know, I can't say for sure. Um, but then, and then the lighting changes so that you get a, a dimming of the lighting in the, the studio, a kind of um, abasement of consciousness, a, a turning down of consciousness. And it made me wonder about how she actually creates herself as a woman, um, <clears throat> because anyone who's creative, for example, gets creative blocks where you feel that you can't complete something or a, an idea has gone stale um, or you just find all sorts of reasons in the world not to apply yourself to something. And I guess I was left wondering if there was some of that uh, laced into the video and therefore she again she's giving something away about her own creative process so it's so the we'll say the original story the hans christian anderson one is yes. the is the is the pure story but the way kate bush has told it has a piece of her within it a part of her own personal think, myth as well i i think it probably does because but i don't see you how you in her personal mess Anna, yes, exactly. yes 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 because i don't see how you can abstract yourself out from something like that completely and there must be stuff in there that tells us something about her personal myth. So the addiction in her case could indeed be to the creativity, to that process, making things perfect? Or, or would it be something yeah. else? Because that, that would make sense. There's musical scores around and yes. she's, she's a musician. And then that's when the alter ego comes and bursts in and braces her, her ego. That would make yes. sense to me anyway. Yes, yes. I, I think that's... Um, I think that's a valid way of looking at it. It may be, it may not be what she intended. Um, who can say without speaking to her? But I think we could draw quite safely draw that conclusion about it. Yeah. Well, there, there was an image. I don't know if it's relevant or not. Yes. But you can, you can. I'll, I'll overlay an image over the yes. screen. She's there with her candle and she's walking with it. Yes. Um, she looked a bit like a, sort of a Miss Havisham character in that. It's kind yes. of like the, the general vibe, which which. Yes, which she I, did. Which, which they got. I don't know if that could be a tell of something else, which she's perhaps there's a sacrifice that she's made in exchange for the actual addiction before the actual yes. video plays out itself. She's quite a somber character, as if she's I alone, agree. lonely would be the word to describe yes. it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, she's very conservatively dressed. She's, she's sort of dressed from head to toe in black. Uh, and I agree with you. It has a, a little bit of a timeless feel. It's only when you watch it more closely and you get those sort of bursts of light um that you can see that maybe it's you know it's a studio of some kind but i agree with you it's got a bit of a timeless feel as well and you know when when people fall into um a state where they're not creating then it becomes a kind of a somber place to be and yeah. sometimes it, it requires some kind of an inspiration um, or, or maybe a burst of energy from the unconscious as a prompt to get you going again. Do you think in many ways that on a meta level could indeed yes. be the unconscious purpose of said video? 
because I've always wondered what the purpose of music is. There are loads of explanations to what music actually is, but quite frankly, yeah. I, I don't care actually on the surface what it actually yeah. is. It's not something yeah. I need to describe in in words or, or not. So in terms yeah. of like connecting you back into your creativity again, is that what the purpose of the video is meant to do? You come away and you're like, you're animated as a result of watching it, if, if you see what I mean. Yes, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, music particularly, I think, is a kind of a universal language, isn't it, that we can we can all plug into. 